0: Welcome to Bonehead, I'm Joe <coughs> Lewis. And I'm Joe Lewis as well. I'm angry and slightly larger than life. <laughs> Bigger than <laughs> a bread box. <laughs> <laughs> and I wear a fake beard on my face made out of a Mer- merkin uh, that I found in a stripper's backyard. You couldn't even say merkin right. I was going to say merkle, and then I was like, wait, it's not. All one. of this, and you went for a fat joke. All of this. <laughs> yeah, that's right, all of that. All happy fruit. <laughs> You two are hacks. <laughs> so today's guest is Andre Ellingson, special
1: effects uh, med- Extraordinary. Absolutely. He's worked on not only Nightmare on Elm Street films, he's also worked on... Uh, he did the entire last season of Buffy.
0: Rush, Rush Hour, hour two, 2. Rush Hour 2. He um, has been the special effects coordinator for every season of Criminal Minds.
1: Which he's still doing, which is still, still on air. Which
0: is still on right, air. He, he has actually traveled the world
1: doing, doing special, special effects. effects.
0: He's worked with
1: Dolph Lundgren. Dun, dun, dun. He, he was not broken. Nope. Anyway, my voice is going. The Thank God. Why, that's the reason why Chad is taking the lead on he's, this you're one. Having a,
2: you're, you're having a hell of a time. You've lost your looks. You're losing your voice. <laughs> I didn't have any looks. That big toe is gone
0: from me. other. <laughs> oh, that was him, right there. There it is. Yeah. There it is. What about the other foot?
1: <laughs> only...
2: he doesn't want to show off. On you only joke.
1: need one toe <laughs> in him. Anyway, then Trump's America. Uh,
2: Andre Ellington.
1: You make Wheezy
0: Jefferson guy. sound like Mariah Carey, man. <laughs> Andre Otsen I mean, is a for special
2: Christmas. effects genius, which means he's got two things against us: he can do special effects and he's a genius. And this is
0: probably going to turn out to be one of our favorite episodes
2: because he literally—if you—if you're a fan of how movies, movies made, are made, right? And I, and as you watch this, we were introduced to him by Mick Strawn. Thank you, Mick Strawn. You sexy, episode. sexy man. You. And they have they have worked together. So as you watch this. And you've
1: watched the mixed on one. Imagine what that set could have been like. I'm it's it was it was fascinating. It was nice of him to Skype with us. Yes. It took a lot of planning. This has been on the board for what about two months. Yeah. And it took us forever to get it logistically together. Because he's working all the time. He's working on he's working on criminal minds right now. Yeah. yeah. And he took the time to do this for us and we just couldn't thank him more. Yeah. Thank you so much, Andre. Like we said, if you're in the movies This is one of the best episodes of actually how movies and television are made. And what you have to do to make a movie. And what you you have to do, not only that, but to get into the industry. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of this in this episode about how you can actually go and work in the industry.
2: And what does it take to move up in the industry? Right. What does a license look like? Stuff like that. Stuff you're not going to hear a lot of other Usually places. my wallet.
1: Yeah. It's got my picture on it. You keep, talk,
2: you keep talking there, Phyllis Diller. You don't have a <laughs> license that's been revoked. So let's, I say we
0: can
1: go ahead and get to the end. Absolutely. Yeah. So enjoy. Andre Adamson, thank you, thank you. Watch the show. Thank you, Andre. Hey, welcome to Bonehead. That's it? That's <laughs> it. That's all I, well, I'd mean, <laughs> be, <you>? look <laughs> yeah. at your face. Go ahead, chat. My voice is cracking. <laughs> crap.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, that's something we didn't tell you is uh, two people are sick, one's getting over something, and one uh, the other person's been up for about 17 hours. That's me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work out fine. I'm
1: sure there's no major issues here.
3: <laughs> oh, man. That's too bad. Sorry to hear that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, start talking about some of the posters you've got behind you there, behind you and the Romeo and Juliet cigar that you're making me jealous with. No. <laughs>
3: In my man cave here, I have posters of probably 80% of the feature films I did, which you guys know I got. Yeah. Now now and Then over there, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, Rough Magic uh, with Russell Crowe. I got Rush Hour 2, Men of War, which I did in Thailand, The Alarmist, which was a smaller, smaller movie, Scissors, one of Sharon Stone's first movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. Night of the Scarecrow, a horror movie.
0: Uh, the last time with
3: Mickey yeah. Rourke, and uh, a pretty cool movie, a bank robbery movie called Killing Zoe.
0: Yeah, which uh, that
3: that was one of the movies
0: that I really liked in high school uh, because I mean it was re- it was directed by uh, David uh, Roger Avery, right? Who, Roger Avery. Yeah. Yeah, he co-wrote. It was, it.
3: Uh, produced by uh, Quentin Tarantino and uh, Roger Avery. Yeah, and Roger Avery directed it. Yeah,
0: because yeah, they, they were they were they were
1: partners for a long time. They did Pulp Fiction, uh, True Romance, and. Uh, uh, well, Roger Avery's uh, got yeah. the Academy Award with him uh, for Pulp, Pulp Fiction, yeah, because yeah. he got a story it, credit. It, I don't
3: that. know. If he might have worked on Reservoir Dogs with him also.
1: Yes, that's awesome. Yes, he did. But out of all of those, movie. out of all those, which one do you which one do you get asked about the most, and which one's your favorite?
3: Probably, uh, you know. I think my favorite is probably Men of War, which was in, uh, we shot in Thailand for three months. Yeah. And I, you know, I worked every day with Dolph Lundgren, who's was an amazing person.
1: Yeah. Is uh, he really? In general. Is he just a nice uh, guy or what?
3: Totally nice guy. You know, the guy's brilliant. He's, he has like a master's in civil engineering or something. Yeah. And totally, totally just really cool guy. Now that was 20 years ago. Um, but spent every day with them, and I get a lot, asked a lot about Rush Hour 2 also. Yeah. Um, with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, so um, those are great big movies, and I just had a blast on them. You know, I spent a lot of time in Hong Kong with Jackie Chan, and then in Thailand with Dolph Lundgren. So, um, both totally different movies. One's kind of a war yeah. action movie, and the other one's kind of a comedy action right, movie. Right, but, right, right. Uh, so let me ask about. They were great.
0: You know, since you did bring up rush hour too, I mean, being a, a special effects coordinator and a stunt coordinator, how is it working with Jackie Chan, who's but I'm assuming at that time was still all about doing his own his own stunts. His own
1: stunts, right.
3: Yeah, totally. He did. And you know, Jackie Chan is a filmmaker, you know, from way back. So when uh, you know, when you finish filming a scene, he doesn't go to his trailer or to his chair. He's there on set, he's helping get the next shot set up. You know, it's in his blood, and uh, he's a great guy. He did, he did a lot of his own stunts, uh, which was amazing because he was probably, at the time, still in his late 40s, I assume, maybe early 50s.
1: Oh, um, he'd have you know, to be. Incredible he'd have athlete. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
3: You know, I don't know. He, this was uh, – we shot Rush Hour in 2000, so 17 years ago already, which is amazing because I felt like I just got off that picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it was one of the last movies I did before I got on this uh, television train,
0: yeah.
3: which was unexpected. Yeah, you know, up. been on Criminal Minds for thirteen years, so it was uh, it was an unexpected uh, deal. Yeah.
1: yeah, go ahead. Well, no,
0: I was just gonna say because before that, I mean, you did the special effects for the entire last season of Buffy too, if Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if I'm not correct. So how, I did did, you, yeah. how did you come along with that one as well? Because, I mean, that show had been on for six seasons prior, and then you come in for the well, very last season.
3: Well, what happened was the effects coordinator uh, went with Josh Whedon to do uh, Firefly.
1: Oh, so, yeah.
3: Yeah, the seventh season. Going into the seventh season of Buffy, Josh Whedon take, took almost the whole crew to his new pilot ship Yeah. Uh, Oh, uh, Firefly. That makes sense. And then I got a call from a friend of mine who was uh, working on Buffy and said, "Hey, this uh, position has opened up over here. Come on over for the interview." And uh, I got it. And boy, did we hit the ground running. I mean,
0: yeah, because I mean that, that last season was was nuts in terms of yeah of how busy, much they upped busy busy the
3: busy busy yeah sixteen hour days and with travel and for you know nine months, but Really good stuff. Really different stuff. Flying a lot of people and sending people through walls and just extremely busy every day. A lot of fire and smoke and prop gags and retractables and and uh, you know I'd read the script and I'd just already be overwhelmed. You know because <laughs> we would be shooting one and I would be wrapping one and I'd be prepping one. So I'm all, in television. You're always doing three episodes at a time right. as a coordinator. Oh wow. Yeah. And then you just. You know, you just put your crews out there where they work best, whether they're wrapping some big thing on set you already shot or, or fabricating things that need to be shot on the upcoming episode or upcoming day. And then you also have a, a guys on set working uh, the gags on sets. So
1: right. it's a
3: machine television.
1: Well, that's what we were because we've asked several of these questions before as, as as you, Chad, and I have talked back and forth. But our listeners haven't heard it as we started to get to know each other. We want to get it done. How did you get your start? Where'd you go to film school at?
3: Well, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, you know, when I was a young kid, I was fortunate enough to uh, know that I wanted to be in the film business, and so I uh, I had moved from New York, where I where I'd. Uh, no, and I wanted to start after seeing Jaws and, and uh, movies like that that came out in the uh, early 70s. And uh, then we moved from New York. I moved to Montana in the 10th grade, which was just shocking. And I had some older friends who had gone off to college in uh, Bozeman, Montana. I was in, I went to high school in Great Falls, and I learned that Bozeman had a really good film school. So it was natural for me after high school, I just went to school in Bozeman and 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 got into film school there and did four years of film school in Bozeman. And it was an excellent film school. And I still uh, uh, lecture there and, and do some scholarships for those kids and stuff like that. And then I moved out to, after I got my degree, I moved to Hollywood in 1986. And it was a busy town because MTV had premiered in 1981 and so when I came into Hollywood, man, there was a rock video shoot on every corner in this town. Huh. And there was, I mean, I worked with every, as a PA, just worked with everybody. You know, I'm working with these superstars, you know, getting them coffee and sweeping floors and doing whatever I can. And uh, then soon after, I met Mick Strawn, and he was involved in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Yeah. And I, I didn't look back for, uh, well, since then, but... I worked with Mick for years and years on, uh, you know, I did Nightmare on Elm Street 3 as a as a uh, carpenter. Yeah. And then I moved up on Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and worked as the lead carpenter right under the construction coordinator. And then on Nightmare on Elm Street 5, I had moved up to the effects coordinator. Yeah. Uh, some pretty major jumps in three years, and I did both seasons of the television series. So I did about a five-year run of Nightmare on Elm Street with some, Little shows in between uh, the hiatuses and stuff like that. Um, so that was kind of it, you know, just kind of uh, ha- having uh, the passion to do it and some education behind me and the drive and some doors that open. You know, that's that's just life in general, no matter what you do. That's absolutely You can be, you can be highly skilled, but if some certain doors and people don't come into your life, you know, you may not get those breaks.
1: That's absolutely true. I kind of have a, I'm curious though. <clears throat> when you went to film school, what did you want to do in the movies? Did you want to did you want to be on the production side? Did you want to direct? What do, I mean, what was your dream?
3: Yeah, I certainly certainly wanted to direct. I wrote and directed all the films in college yeah. and um it, it's and I, I still hope to do that, I never give up. I've written some scripts that've been optioned in some TV shows. Um you know, but it's such a you know, I it's such an you just it's so hard to get into it's like i could know there's famous people that are famous writers and famous actors that'll never be given the chance to direct it's just you know it's it's a, it's it's undefinable how people begin to direct we have people direct on our show now it's like how the hell did you get on this movie set <laughs> you know i got 70,000 hours of experience with drive and passion, I'm always behind the monitor. And then, uh, you know, these guys, these some of these clowns show up, and uh, and they're directing, and it. it's just, it's amazing. So there's there's no door or answer to get into directing, but I'll never give up. You know, I've directed second unit stuff, uh, unaccredited, big action sequences right. because sometimes the directors don't know what's going on when I'm doing a huge explosion or car wrecks. I basically have to lay out what's going on, so I basically take control of the set at that point. Yeah. Uh, that the directing sense. was always in my blood, and, and I'm still searching for that avenue, even at my age. And uh, you know, you never give up. People are given opportunities uh, at all ages in this town.
1: Yeah, I, it's always curious to me. James and I have had this conversation before about how you get in, and how you get there. You could tell somebody else how to do it, but that won't work for them. Right. Yep.
3: Yeah. Totally, totally agree
1: that. I mean, you can give them, oh, this is how I did it, but it won't work for another person. You have to find your Absolutely. own way.
3: Completely. Right. Yeah. I was just going to go ahead. You know, a lot of people come here without any connections. A lot of people don't have any nepotism in the town and a lot of people do. Uh, so you just never know. You just always got to have your eyes open and, and uh, but, you know, I was never the guy that. Went on the golf course and and smooched and you know I never went to all those kind of things that maybe I should have gone to all the the benefits and and all the things where all those people are because yeah. I yeah I kind of had those Montana roots I'm kind of a guy's guy and and you know just never really had that drive to to smooge my way in right. and, and climb that ladder I was I was having success climbing the ladder through my work in special effects, which was paying the bills and I was traveling the world. So that began to, to become a career for me. Although between films, I was writing and I was doing things uh, t- to try to still give myself that break. Um, but that door never opened completely, although I had some success in getting some things optioned. Um, which is more than most. It, which is more than most, and yeah. I, you know, I did it on my own, and you know, uh, so still haven't given up. But it, it's directing would be just the dream. I mean, I would love it. Yeah, I would love to. But I love it. what I do also. I have the second best job in the world. So yes, <laughs> no, I understand. I
1: just, I would love to sometime just talk to you, and it's probably be more off the record about some of the idiot directors, specifically in episodic television, where it's not the same person all the time who have yeah. come in, you know, and, and it's a working machine, right? All the crew, yeah. everybody else is there. The actors, the writers are the same as the directors that kind of come and go.
3: Yeah, the directors are guests, you yes. know, and uh, and not to take any away from some very extremely talented television directors. I have many great friends and colleagues who are directors in oh, the yeah. television business, uh, but it only takes a couple hours on the set with a new director to see where they're at and if they can <laughs> tell a story. And communicate, and yeah. and you know have both hands on the wheel of the big ship. They're either gonna go toward the iceberg or they're gonna swerve out of the way. Yeah. So, I was just curious. Well, it just takes go
0: all I, You know, I kind of want to revisit. You know, Joe mentioned that. Uh, you know, in our previous talks, because one of the things I found fascinating that we talked about earlier this week that I think our audience would like to hear about is, you know, how we live in the golden age of television right now. I don't think there's oh. any there's any argument as to how great television is now and the amount of it and the amount of it
3: i agree completely television's uh, exceptional you can find exceptional television and david lynch
1: has said that's where independent cinema is gone yeah it's all in cable it's all there yeah, and Netflix, i mean because
3: you know that's where independent movies went i agree completely
1: yeah yeah because you know movies movies nowadays
0: are basically the same three or four basic stories or, or styles yeah. where, you know, and now television's branching out into all new various directions. But because of that, absolutely, I was wondering if you could, t- you know, just go into the story about, you know, how, you know, how that is for you working in that industry as it's this big boom right now.
3: Well, for me, you know, I haven't been able to, my experience, you know, I did a lot of television uh, as, as I was coming up and, you know, I've done probably... I've done almost 300 episodes of Criminal Minds, you know, and so I've probably done 600 episodes of television an hour long over my career. And because I've been uh, on Criminal Minds, which has been a good fortune for me for 13 years, I haven't been able to go out there and experience, you know, all the different types of television. I mean, certainly Game of Thrones is at the top of the heap.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. even
3: consider that television.
1: <laughs> you know. no i know so you're a fan you
3: know, like you said joe that those are those are movies man that just happen to be on a cable channel
1: i agree you know?
3: and a lot of I the- mean, you look at the behind the scenes of game of thrones on on youtube or on the uh, the extras on the dvd and it's mind-blowing you know i've been in the business a long time and, and my jaw just lowers and and just like oh my god i know what they're doing and uh you know, would like to be given that up, you know, do something like that. Um, but television is, its there's a mass amount of television, and it's just, it encompasses everything. I mean, there's 500 channels out there. It's amazing.
2: What, what is that doing to the people that are interested in special effects, people that are getting, uh, if people are interested in going that way, what are some things that they need to be looking for now? as this boom happens?
3: Yeah, well, what's good about it is, you know, television now is, um, it's all over the country, right? So you don't have to come to Hollywood, you can go to Atlanta, you can go, you know, you can get on all the, uh, 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 what's it called, the, uh, every state has a film commission. Yep. So you, you can get on, you know, you can go to, pick a state, get on the web, go to the film commission, you can see what's being filmed there or what's coming. And there's many, many opportunities in Hollywood. It's, it's pretty much, you know, a union town, although the, what the, the books are open now, which is called that they need people in. So there, oh. you know, when the yeah. town, when the books are closed, you have to be in the union to work for the most part for network television and stuff like that. Even, uh, Amazon and HBO have smaller union contracts. Um, but the, uh, can you, the ability can, to come to this town now and and probably in Atlanta, is is a great as a great time for young, uh, or even people just want to get into it at whatever age, right. to come and, uh, you know, you got you got to meet, you know, get do your homework and get on the set. And people like you know like myself, I want to help people. People generally that are in their career and and have uh, some success and are comfortable with themselves, they want to help people. I'm trying to help people get in if I can at least give them advice and, and I can't like bring somebody right in and be a special effects guy because of the union, the license I have, but yeah. I certainly can give them advice and point them. You know, I did, a, I did 10 years of non-union work when I first moved here, you know, the nightmare on Elm streets were all non-union. Right. Um, so that enables you to go into any position on the film crew and start working immediately. Oh really? It's like, Oh yeah, you can just, you know, pick and go. So, uh, but you don't have the protection of the
1: union, right? say that again you don't have the protection of the union right as far as benefits health care all those other things that go along with being included in the union right true
3: so it's it's a double-edged sword because i was able to rise through the ranks extremely quick being non-union and if i would have started in the union world like at paramount if i was 22 years old and i happened to get a job at paramount i would stop i would start in the uh you know, I'd start as a carpenter and then you go into the metal shop for a couple of years, and then you go in the leather shop for a, you learn all the trades. You know, for you know, three years here, three years here, three years here, three years here. And but if you have the skills and ability to kind of surpass all that, uh, you're not given that in the union world. You have to pay your dues. Yeah, I didn't even
0: speed. I thought in well, in today's world, I didn't think like non union work was even available on on projects such as these
3: oh yeah you know there's a lot of smaller features you know independent features right. and um independent television you yeah. know unscripted yeah. reality shows which still gives you the the experience of being on a movie set and seeing what everybody does and yeah. you know then you can kind of say well i don't want to be a grip and i you know i don't i don't want to hold a boom my whole life but man you know the art department looks good or props looks good or makeup or hair or transportation. You know, I'm a mechanic, I want to build cars my whole career. And right. So it, it enables you to get in there and get your feet wet and kind of see. And then the more projects you work on, the more people you meet and you kind of gravitate towards certain people that, you know, you become friends, just a chemistry thing.
1: Just like any other business. And, yeah.
3: and one day that door open where the union has the books open like they do now. And uh, you do what you can to get in there and put your days in, you need 30 days. And oh. then you pay your $10,000, and you're in.
1: So, oh, my Jeez. Oh, oh, Lord. So, can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? What do you mean by the open books? Because I don't know that I completely know. Because it almost sounds mafioso to a certain extent. <laughs> We're going to open the books and
0: make him a maiden I love how you said mafioso as he's pulling a big drag from his cigar. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let me tell you how it is. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to make me the an offer. The open books. The open books just means there's not enough people to do the work in town. So as a coordinator uh, or coordinators or people that are looking for for people to work, they call the union and the union's like, we don't have anybody on the books. On the books means you've, you've called and say, I'm looking for work. So when you call the hall and say, man, we don't have any effects guys available, we're right. sorry. Then they will allow you to hire your brother, your cousin, your grandmother, just so you can get somebody on the set to help you move stuff. Wow. Or sometimes you just need people.
1: Yeah. You yeah. know, when
3: we're doing a, a war scene, I need 50 people to move sandbags and equipment, and it's a very laborious industry. Right. You know, it's all shiny and glittery on the screen, but the backbreaking work with special effects and grip and electric right. is uh, intense and can be intense depending on the project. So, uh, that's what they mean by open books. Open books means we need to get more people than union to fill the positions of all these people calling that need additional help. Yeah.
1: So, and if you've got 30 days and $10,000, you can be a made man. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> in. You're in uh, your hand. You know, talk- and
3: then, and then, and then you're on the road to, uh, you know, healthcare and benefits right. and, and a good salary and you're protected by, the, you know, the film union is a very strong uh, union. Uh, now there's different, you know, there's 399, which is transportation, there's local 80, which is the grip, there's local right. 44 for prop makers, and special, you know, there's probably 15 different locals within the union and they all have their little, it's all kind of different sub rules, but they all work under the umbrella of IOTC, I tell which is the, right I tell people
1: all the, the time that I think Hollywood is the last place that union really exists. I mean, you don't see it as much. It's not it's not anywhere in industry anymore really. Not in a lot of places where else has as much union as Hollywood.
3: Yeah, it's uh you know and and, and I got to tell you with with the with the amount of work you know, the secret's out. You know, Hollywood, even when I came in '86, Hollywood was a very, you know, you come into Hollywood to work. You know, it's yeah. you, you've made it, you're working on a movie or a TV show. And, yeah. you know, you're working with these famous actors you used to watch as a kid. You know, I've worked with so many people that I sat when I was 10 years old, my dad, and watched on TV. You know, now I'm telling them to get to run as fast as they can away from that car explosion. Right. You know? So it's very bizarre for me sometimes, <laughs> and 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 humbling uh, for that. But to be honest, there may be a come a time where there's so much work that the that they're going to be able to do it without unions because they're just not going to be able to control. You know, it costs a lot of money to be to to be to sign on with the union because you know you're paying just so much more for everything.
0: Yeah.
3: Um. So. That's why they try to get everybody that gets on something in the union. If they can keep keep it corralled and keep control and get everybody in the union, then the, then the union stays strong. Right. But in the 80s, when I came here with New Line Cinema and Canon Films and Gobin Globus and, <laughs> and even Weinstein and all those yeah. guys, there was a huge non-union. Non-union kind of broke out from the studios. And uh, there was a time there between, like... You know, 1980 and, and 95 were, it was like 50-50 in this town. I mean, wow. non-union almost got away with it. And then then they got it back. They got the control back. Because as the, as you get older, as a filmmaker in your late 20s, you realize you do need the health benefits. You do need protection. Because I was working 17, 18 hours a day. You know, at that time when I was younger, making $70 a day. I'm making $4 an hour. Yeah. Wow. You know? So when I'm when I was young though, I'm working with Guns N' Roses, I don't care. <laughs> you know, <but laughs> right. when you're twenty seven you start to realize, you know, you need some glasses, you broke your arm and and everything you work for you've paid to the doctor, so Wow.
2: You talked about how now film is everywhere, but you also worked uh, internationally working with in Thailand with Dolph Lundergan. What is the difference between Lundgren. I don't doing special <laughs> effects locally and doing special effects overseas, is there a different setup? Is there different laws you have to be aware of?
3: Yeah, that's that's a really good question. The main thing is equipment and materials. Right. You know, Hollywood, I can literally make a phone call and get anything done and anything to me, if not within hours, within a day, and the skilled person personnel to get it done. When you're in a jungle in Thailand it's really hard to find a home Depot <laughs> It's really hard to find somebody that can put a roll cage in a car to protect the stunt driver
1: yeah
3: you know and it's 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 so it's about getting what you need A lot of times like when I went to Thailand and in and, and Hong Kong I, I spent months going over the script and putting everything in that sea container I could think of and you still can't think of everything yeah you know. Uh, all of a sudden, just one little piece <coughs> breaks on a piece of equipment, and it could it could shut you down. So, it's it's the availability of resources and talent, uh, and equipment that is the major difference between shooting now. Just in the United States, you can acquire all that stuff before it just it used to be Hollywood. Even when I went to Atlanta to do Now and Then, I found myself you know struggling and calling Hollywood to get whatever you know, fake snow yeah. or Equipment uh, to me, FedExed as quickly as possible for the next day's shooting. So, and that's a lot of stress for a coordinator because, you know, you can't shoot excuses. <laughs> you know, you can't tell the, you can't tell the director the next day. Well, you know, it didn't. It, I don't have it. It didn't come in, and the whole crew's standing there. You know, it's it's. Uh, you never want to. You, yeah, you never want to give that excuse because you can't shoot it, which I've been told.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a I great line. I bet you have. I can imagine. I really like to ask. I'm trying to think of a good way to put it. And if you don't answer this question, you're talking about working with some of your idols. And we moderate a lot of these cons, and people ask me when you meet stars about. Well, I always say the same thing. They're like everyone else. 80 or 90 percent of them are fine people. 10 to 20 are assholes.
3: <laughs> that sounds about right.
1: <laughs> Do you think that's true with the stars you've worked with?
3: Yeah, but you know, I think that's just a general rule in uh, human nature and life. Exactly.
1: Yes. Yeah. So whether
3: I, you're you're a professor or a teacher or yeah. work at IBM or you know put you know whatever you do, I I think uh, movie business movie business you you're allowed a little more ego and then the egos seem to inflate a little more on set because it's a very creative business. You know? Right. Oh yes. You know it's extremely creative and uh, so um, but, you know I've been pretty fortunate. Um but you know, I've had my days battling with directors and directors of photographies and uh again now that I'm older now, now I'll just uh are will I get beeped on some things? No, 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 go, no, no, go, no, no. Go, 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 go. You
0: obviously didn't watch the Mick episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Go. In fact, Mick had a great line about directors uh, DPs. He would say, What was the line? This will never work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah now now in a position you know i'll just you know i'll i'll try to eloquently state my case and oh don't clean it
0: up go go for gusto (laughs) just go for (laughs) it if
3: if they're gonna if they're gonna give me the ego trip you know i just tell them to fuck off
0: yeah
3: (laughs) you don't have the shot yeah fuck you i got the license and i'm i'm in you know i you know i'm the guy so right collaborate with me and and let's solve the problem and, and we're gonna get you a really good shot but if you're gonna be a dick you know was
1: well, there any, is there anybody you can actually talk about who has been who you were who you kind of looked up to who maybe was great and maybe also somebody who you looked up to who wasn't as great can you name names i'm just curious if you don't want to that's fine i
3: understand yeah no you know i haven't um nobody really comes to mind you know right. uh, actually some of the people that i thought would be dicks uh you know, turned out not to be like um <coughs> like Mickey Rourke for one. Right. Yeah, on FTW, you know, we
0: got, right? We got, along, we got
3: along yeah, I mean we got along fabulously and he had a hell of a reputation coming to that movie. Um but it also may be the position I'm in and what I'm what I'm talking to them about when I'm having conversations with right. them. it's usually a safety issue. It's usually something very large and dangerous and exciting that they want to be involved in, that they want to make sure they're doing it right, because it's usually one take, you know, on the bigger stuff. So it's interesting, I think, with, with my job that when I'm dealing with an actor or director, there there is some uh, communication there for the most part. Right. Yeah, so I would think... If you ever interview a makeup artist or a hair person <laughs> or somebody that's dealing with that e- or wardrobe, yeah. Yeah. they're going to have a lot of stories about cuz they spend a lot more time with these people and uh, you know, on a daily basis. So <clears throat> I'm
0: going to bring up a movie I want to talk about a specific movie that you did. One of your early in your career or you know, throughout your career, one of somebody whose name whose name kept popping up in your history in your bio was Mick Garris. Yeah. Yeah. And of course the biggest one was you've worked on the stand, which, you know, we I just, did. we just did a whole episode about how we love the stand. That <laughs> was one of our favorite Stephen King movies. Um, but my big question was about, and, you know, any story you could share with the stand would be great. But, you know, in particular, one thing that, that always, that we tried to do research on and we, that just bum fuzzled us, is the fact that you all built the the farm set. You didn't go to an actual farm, you built that on a soundstage.
3: Well, we also built, now just to clarify, it's one of the few things that I have on my resume, as you'll see, that I didn't actually coordinate. I was the the foreman on the stand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got 50 credits, but I only uh, did not coordinate about four of them. Um, and the stand Lou Carlucci coordinated the stand, (laughs) right. And, uh, he used to be my pyrotechnic guy before I got my license. So we had a great relationship. We did a lot of work together. And then when he got the stand, he asked me to be the foreman on it, which was awesome. And we traveled the country and stuff. The stand was amazing. It was a mini series. I mean, it was like an eight hour mini series.
1: When we, when we did our episode about it, we talked about, we actually opened up with there used to be this thing called the miniseries. There was four networks before that. There was right. three, and life shut down for a big right. mini-series. You would watch it.
3: Well, at the stand, there's a couple stories. One is I saw probably the most one of the most dangerous stunts I've ever seen in my life. When uh, it's been a long time, so I'll just paraphrase. When the guy's on the motorcycle going down the mountain road, yeah, and yeah, and he hits that guardrail, and he goes flying over the uh, <laughs> the, the cliff, so to speak. And, uh, you know, they had just put up a circus net down below and he hit that thing, man. And if he didn't, he hit the top of that net by about three feet. Wow. And, uh, if he, if he would have missed that, he just would have sailed to his death easily. So that, that was an amazing thing for me to see. Cause the stand was in, uh, what year that was 94. Least, least, yeah. So we're talking 23 years ago. Yeah. And then we shot in, uh, las vegas and i remember that we were shooting on fremont street yep. before they put that big uh, led yeah. yep. uh lighting system above there and uh that was one of the rallies with gary sinise and right. the devil you know and and you know hundreds and hundreds of extras and you know they somehow they shut down the front entrance of those casinos and it would they would take so much time between takes uh we were burning cars right on fremont street you right know? Uh, they would call cut, and me and my guys would run the casino and, and start playing <laughs> crap. <laughs> and then between takes, you know, and then say, okay, let's get ready to go. And then we'd collect our money and run back outside and, and and, and you know, set some cars on fires again. So you came out ahead. Yeah. Man, I almost got bit by a rattlesnake in the Valley of Fire uh, out there when we did that big bonfire out there. Stepped right over a rattlesnake. It was it was it was gnarly. <laughs> that was that was a huge. We also built the uh, the big oil when the when the oil yeah uh, field blew. We had uh, we had done some uh, force perspective, but we built some of those huge outdoor tanks that were quite large, and we had pressurized diesel <laughs> fuel being fed into those with huge tanks. It took wow. weeks to to set that up. Um, so. The longer I think about it, the a lot of big memories on that on that one. A lot of hard work, man. We were extremely busy. Yeah, I think uh, we you, probably had a twenty man crew.
1: And I think you uh, shot and for over six up, months, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. And then we'd pick up additional help, and you know, we shot in uh, Pittsburgh, you know, in Vegas, a lot in L.A., and we would pick up additional crews just labor to help us on that. I think that might have been non-union also, back then.
0: Really? Wow, that's kind of surprise. That is very surprising.
3: I think so. But uh, I had done a couple things with uh, Mick Garris, uh, but haven't uh, worked with him in. Uh, I may have worked with him once uh, after that, but uh, it's been it's been a long time. But he was a good guy.
0: I think after that it was Quicksilver Highway, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Which, by the way, yeah, was that supposed to be a TV show? Yeah. Okay.
3: Because <laughs> that, that one was like a movie of the week or something.
0: Yeah, because we were talking about it, and we thought the way that the way that it played was yeah. it was supposed to be a TV show. It
3: just yeah, I think it was. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. it was supposed to go to series. It didn't happen. Right.
3: Yeah. That it might have been a yeah, it might have been a pilot. Right. Um, back then, you know, and also in the early '90s, uh, you know, movie of the weeks. mm Hmm. You know, were just huge. I was, you know, I was blowing up a car every week. There, Every movie of the week had a car explosion and rain. <laughs> every one of them. <laughs> so true, was, yeah. Hey, can you come do a rain job? Yeah. Can you come blow up a car? Yeah. Every week, you know. Now, I don't think there is a movie of the week except on, you know, Lifetime.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, well, also, that's it. It doesn't exist anymore like the miniseries. It just yeah. doesn't exist.
3: No, they don't exist.
1: No. Yeah. No, absolutely yeah, I've got not. a wife who
0: makes me watch those Hallmark Christmas movies. I just want to go jump Hallmark. out a window. <laughs>
2: Maybe they would be better if they had more car explosions. Yes, they yes. need more car. Couple explosions. Couple Hallmark specials. <laughs> Santa's sleigh needs to explode at least once a week.
1: Do you have any good yeah. stories about working with the uh, um, Golan Globus? Uh, almost with Canon Films because they were notorious. Well,
3: yeah, you know uh, that was so long ago. I don't. I was a carpenter back then, right. so. Uh, I wasn't working on set. I know I did some time on Hanoi Hilton. I think they did that Yeah. Um, way back in the day and maybe a couple other ones. But uh, those were the early days. That's where, like 86, 87 when nice. I was um, – yeah, so not too many memories from from uh, from those guys. Okay. But they were putting out, you know, a film a week, those guys. Yeah, yeah absolutely. You,
2: you mentioned a lot of the licenses uh, that you need and stuff like that what does that process look like as far as what sort of license do you uh, are needed for pyrotechnics and what is the process yeah. of getting one of those even look like
3: yeah special effects is interesting because it it, it incorporates uh, a mass amount of skills you know we need guys that are riggers we need guys that are proficient in hydraulics and pneumatics we need guys that are welders and fabricators and and then pyrotechnics is kind of this other little part of special effects and right you can be a special effects man and not have your pyro. you can be a very good special effects man and not have your pyrotechnic license so in order to get that the first thing you do is uh you need to uh, work out in, in in the movie or television business. And after two years, you get five guys that have a license uh, to sign for you. And you get what's called a three card. <laughs> so your three card allows you to do what's called open flames. Okay, So you're able to run a flame bar to do fire. Right. You're able to handle all the... Open flame on set, stoves, candles, anything that, you know, water heaters, anything where you're lighting a flame, anything where there's a compressed propane or natural gas, you're able to do that. You're not into pyrotechnics yet. Then you put in uh, probably up to three or four years, and then you have five more guys that have their two card or above signed for your two card. Then your two card allows you to do, now you can do sparks so um you're able, you know if you're shooting a computer and it's sparking or you hit a a power panel you those huge sparks and stuff now you're getting into pyrotechnics okay so but you're still not able to do squib hits or explosions or deal with any high ordnance at all then you do four more years with that and then this is the part where now you're going for your one card that's the highest card now it's Hard for guys, it's hard to get guys assigned for you because now you're coming into their world. Uh-huh. Now you're gonna all the guys I hired to do my pyrotechnics, I won't be hiring them anymore because now I have the license. But by this time, they become your friends and your colleagues, and they you know know you're skilled, and if you're working coordinator, know you're you're gonna get them work. So you got to get five guys that have the highest card, which is the one card to sign for you. You submit all that to the California <clears throat> jurisdiction, the state uh, fire marshal. Yeah. He reviews all. Uh, and, and through this whole process, you've been taking logs. You've you've logged everything you've done, what the production was, what you did, who you worked with, what you did, what materials you did. You do a one sheet on every single flame you've ever done, every single spark you've ever done, every squib you've done, every explosion you've done. Mine was about a foot thick from all over the world yeah okay wow so then you submit that to the california state fire marshal and they review it and then hopefully he gives you a phone call says okay now you can come in and take the written test and you say okay so you study for six months probably for the written test which is all the laws and ordinances of the storage and transportation of pyrotechnics you know it's, it's just it's called title 19 it's ridiculous it's the most boring crap you'll ever read in your <laughs> life and it was you know it was it was painstaking to memorize all the i mean imagine imagine reading like an OSHA book of all the rules right. and regulations right yeah, and work, worker safety
0: and you're working full time on movie sets this whole
2: time
3: oh yeah yeah i'm studying at night you know Gee, it's, I was about it's say,
2: weekends. It, it, it sounds like you have a PhD in pyrotechnics. I mean, it's the same sort of process of having to have five people say, "Sure, we'll let you do it." You go before a board. You go through. It's
3: the same process as now. It's pretty much now, knowing that just Title 19, the first the first thing you do is the test. They just want to know that you understand the laws in order that it. They don't even ask you about pyrotechnics yet. You know, like how to use them. They want to make sure you know what they are, how to storm legally, how to transport them legally and all that stuff. So once you pass the written test, now you go into the state fire marshal and you sit in front of a board of about five people for six hours. And now they're grilling you on special effects. How would you do a how would you do a car explosion? How would you do a, a cannon in a car? How would you do a fireworks show? How would you, you know, from experience from all the older guys, they have you know a hundred scenarios of the biggest, most complicated wiring you know do you use? can you can you go off AC or what voltage? How many amps? What do you need to power if you're if you're going underwater for two hundred feet and then coming up to a boat, you know, what kind of power do you need on the other side? What's going to get you there? How many circuits do you have on the wires? Is it going to be able to take the load? So that in itself is draining, but you have to know it. You know, I've had friends who have been killed in the business yeah. in explosions, colleagues, and it's because of static electricity. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. because somebody had the wrong, you know, the, the battery was hot or the, the cable fell onto the battery through some bizarre accident. Yeah. And it, and it, sets off the explosion prematurely. So I didn't mind it all being grilled uh, to the teeth on this stuff because they need to know and I need to know that I'm a professional with that. And now when I get asked, I just got asked, I just got a phone call the other day from a guy I've known for 25 years who's finally going for his one card because he was one of the guys I was talking about. He was just an effects man. Very good one. But he realized, you know, that he wanted his one card. He wanted to be a pyrotechnician in addition to all his other skills. So, uh, you know, he said, Andre, you know, would you sign for me? And even back then I knew his skills, so I know he's only improved. You right. know, he's got 15, 20 more years of experience, so I have no problem signing for him. And uh, and that goes into the package. It goes to state fire marshal. And so it's a process. Uh, it's, 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 it's like getting, you know, your master's. Right. Uh but you have to, you know, you're dealing with it. your own life, your crew's life, actors' lives, people around you. I mean, look at the big movies. I don't do the huge motion pictures. You know, you look at some of those movies, like the new Mad Max one, you know. And yeah. It's like, you know, I get it. And even uh, Game of Thrones. I mean, it's it's massively huge, massively dangerous, and I've been there before. Um I don't know if I want to go back into the massive world. I, actually, I don't. Yeah. Um, but I do want to get back into features like fifty million dollars because that's controllable to me. That's you know it's manageable. The the risk is much lower, even though you're you're do, you're not just doing as big as as gag. You're still doing explosions. It's still all very dangerous, but the magnitude and the scale of it is to where you can wrap your head around it.
1: Yeah, we've talked about. <clears throat> sorry, my voice is going. I've been sick. That's all right. To, we've talked about this before, but do you think after a few more years on Criminal Minds, you do want to go back to working on features?
3: Definitely. You know, I think I'm going to ride Criminal Minds out. If it goes one year, that's great. If it goes two years, that's great. Um, but certainly you want to get back into features. Um, They're just some about sitting in a movie theater at the end of the day and, yeah. and watching your work. You know, even you know, 10 million people watch Criminal Minds. So that's a much bigger base and you know most movies might get right um but uh there's some about sitting in a movie theater and the lights go out and and you watch your work and your name comes up and you're there with your crew and and uh you know and you're a little bit more traveling you know and uh it's two different worlds but they're both to me uh very exciting and uh you know i i i still have a passion for it i love it i mean i'm extremely lucky um oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I do,
3: I, I never knew I was a new special effects. I'll tell you that I had, I had no idea. You know, <laughs> when I came to Hollywood, I wanted to be a writer director. I wanted to write to a means to an end to direct. Um,
1: and like you know, I just fell in it and, it,
3: and the doors opened, and and I was, uh, I was good at it, and right. it just it just happened.
1: Yeah, crazy. No, that <clears throat> that's what happens. That's life. You just take yes. the opportunities and, you're given. And, and you had to make a living, right?
3: Had to make a living, and then once you start making a living, uh, then you're like, you know, it's hard to, you know, then you buy a car, and then you get a nice apartment, and then, you know, then, then all of a sudden you're, I'm just glad it was in a in a in a, an area that I that I liked. Right. Oh,
0: yeah.
3: Because yeah. there's a lot of people in the film business, television, they're very good at what they're do, but, you know, they, uh, man, I I really wanted to be, you know that guy over there and I got married and had kids and, you know, you, you can get trapped just like in, in any, anyone. Right. right. Um, so.
1: All right. What else do we have? Is that it? What?
3: <laughs> I still got half a scar left. Um, <laughs> oh,
1: and well, we didn't want to keep you all night <laughs> well, and likewise. we could always do
2: another one too. Yeah. I mean, what, um, I guess, uh, as a last question, um, you get the last question. Yeah. Well, you you were passing the buck. I thought, I thought you were looking for something. Um, you mentioned writing. Is there any certain area or any certain type of story that you like to write, or any certain area that you would like to direct? Oh, that is a good question.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I wrote a. Uh, of course, I wrote a uh, horror film. Right. Uh, and uh, I optioned that twice, and I actually got out of effects for a year because I was on board to direct. just about. 15 years ago, uh, no, about 17 years ago, extremely excited. Thought I thought I'd made my break and then the funding fell through and it all went away and, and, and all that kind of thing. It's a, it's, you'll hear that sob story a million times in Hollywood. So, um, and then the other one I wrote was an action adventure for kids, uh, which also got optioned a couple of times in the same story. So, It's amazing a movie even gets made in Hollywood. Well, that's we we've talked about. It's amazing anything ever gets made. Just what it takes to put it together. Right. Well, we've talked about that
2: before, though. Uh, Magazines like Fangoria and all that that used to look at horror films. They always had that section of movies you can expect to see, and we can go back and look at them. And half of them
3: never Never saw the light of day.
1: Never, never made
3: it. Oh yeah, no, no doubt about it. And there's a lot of movies that. You know, will get made and then, yeah, and then never, you know, maybe you'll get it on Netflix. Maybe you'll sell it for, you know, a million dollars to Netflix. Or, you know, you go to, I'm not too much on the social media, but I'm sure there's, you know, TV stations and maybe little movie stations on the Internet where you can show your movie. Somebody pays a dollar to watch it or whatever. I don't know. There's so many many voices out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah and you have to stand out and most people will we've learned this too with a lot of independent people or independent finance or they're small independent films and they're getting their movie done and when I find that I talk to people who have been successful at it they say they'll they'll think about everything the writing the directing everything, and they leave the big part out and it's distribution they yeah. never think about that they'll get everything yeah. financed and here's our movie well holy shit where's it gonna go?
3: but if it isn't your money yeah, and you don't want to worry about distribution because you just want to get your movie made. Right. So, but certainly the people that put the money up should be thinking about have a distribution deal. But the distributors aren't going to have a distribution deal if they haven't seen the the movie. Right. So it's it's a it's a you know a catch twenty two. It's a catch twenty two. Okay.
0: Yeah. Let me ask a question about what some a statement you just made. You said when you were probably going to write and where you were where you were trying to direct that movie, and it was seventeen months that. And that's all you focused on. You couldn't do anything else. You weren't you weren't working on the other things. You were focused directly on that. You couldn't do other projects?
3: Well, yeah. I didn't mean to say seventeen months. It was like a year. Okay. The problem was I was going to so many meetings. I'd get a phone call and say, Hey, we have a meeting in Beverly Hills this afternoon. I had to be available. Oh. And oh, yeah. you know, and I was I was doing rewrites and I, I was writing two movies simultaneously. So I had taken that time, one, once I got my first hit, once once it got optioned, yeah. Uh, my focus, you know, I, I had enough. I was about, you know, I was single at the time, so I had enough money to say this is my shot, uh, a damn good shot. So I'm just going to concentrate on on making this happen. But it, it did get to the point where they call and said, okay, we have a, you know, another meeting in Beverly Hills. I said, you know what, I'm tired of eating forty dollar hamburgers in <laughs> Beverly Hills. I'm done. Just you know, like I can't keep going these movies, because you'll also find that the the young producers, they're also just trying to get meetings together too. You know, right. They may not have the connection. You know, this guy might not be legitimate. This guy might be a, you know, some cokehead that says he's worth you know twenty million dollars <laughs> in right, right, right. uh, my suit. And I'm meeting, and I've had a couple of those meetings, you know, where it's like, what am I even doing here? This is ridiculous. But you have to keep throwing against the wall. You have to you have to go to those. But after a year, I was like, man, i got to go back to work before I lose my connections Right. in the real world.
0: And that was what I was going to yeah. ask. Was it hard to get back in after being gone a year? Because there's so many uh, people trying to get those jobs.
3: Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I may not have got a coordinating position right away, but I did have a lot of friends and colleagues still working in the business who were still my friends and colleagues who knew what I was trying to do. So I'm, I'm sure I went back to work quickly, and then it might have taken me you know, a few months to get my own show and get back on.
1: You know the most depressing part of all of this? What? They made you buy your own damn hamburger. $40. <laughs> no. <30 bucks. laughs> no, they they bought the hamburgers, but I all saw right. the bill. At least you got a $40 hamburger out
3: of it. <laughs> they were $40 hamburgers. Ridiculous. Was,
0: anyway. it, was, it, was it $40 good?
3: <laughs> yeah, it was $40 because it was their money. And I was, by the end of the meeting, I'm like, you know, you could... You could pretty much by the end of the meeting size up. Right. But, you know, I was I was young. You know, I was thirty, my mid thirties, and you know, I was having meetings in Beverly Hills for my script. So, you know, you got to be optimistic. You, you got it. You never know who you're going to meet. But being from Montana, did that actually
0: taste like a really damn good hamburger?
3: <laughs> was it, it worth had like the forty dollars? Something on it. I don't know what the hell they put on it, but <laughs> no, it was no, it was no Montana beef. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> all
1: right well we really thank you so much yes, for thank coming you, on thank you um I, we, I enjoyed it it means the world to us we'd love to have you back on again sometime and talk some more actually if you're ever interested
3: yeah you guys uh stay in touch with me i've, I've unfortunately I've, 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 I've lost the uh, there it is i got a small picture anytime guys uh and i think um uh joe you had mentioned uh I'll try to find some other people that would like to do this, and I'll, chat I think still I just have your number, which is fine. And uh, oh, I'll
1: give you my digits. You do Oh, you, <laughs> you just have to be sweet and look yeah. at me. Screw you! <laughs> I'm a pleasure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing when Don't you know think that. Uh, yeah, when
3: well, we'll we come, do it again, uh, a yeah. little time pass, and you guys, um, you know, when, whenever.
0: Yeah, because I really want a one eight seven story because that was one. That's that's one of those hidden gems for me. I really that was like a movie that's that Kevin I loved. Reynolds, right? Yeah, that's Kevin Reynolds.
3: Now, briefly, Kevin Reynolds is was one of my favorite directors. Oh,
0: oh really? Now, oh, well, go ahead. And tell it. We <laughs> gotta, gotta know. Gotta tell
3: well, I'm I'm just saying in general he was just a super super dude, you know. And and Mel Gibson actually produced that, and so I got to meet Mel Gibson before. All that stuff happened, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, he would come to set quite often. But it was, you know, it was a small movie. It was actually written by a, an ex school teacher, yeah, who had who had written that picture. And uh, we didn't have big stuff on. We had some rain and we had some gags, and you know, t- nothing nothing major, but small stuff that you wouldn't really realize were effects. You know, we we did that kept us busy.
0: Well, well, the thing, uh, yeah. but I was
3: on that movie for you know three or four months and. Kevin was just awesome, you know, uh, yeah. it's the only time I worked with him, but he also directed one of my favorite films, a remake of, um, don't let me forget it, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, oh yeah, 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 no,
1: yeah. we all three love that movie. That's I, I, <laughs> I, think, I think that's his best film. Yeah. I oh think that's God. his best film. Yeah. Much better that's than Robin great. Hood.
3: Yeah. I mean, that movie was so awesome. and uh, I'll probably and watch course, that you, once a year. Yeah. he got Waterworld. You know, he did Waterworld. I don't know if he made it through that whole picture or not, but
1: yeah. <laughs> oh well.
3: Well, thank you but so Kevin much, Super Dude. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> that was one of my, you know, one of my big breaks. Even though it was a small film, it was a high profile film because it was Kevin Reynolds and Mel Gibson. Well, well and like me. visual, One Eight
0: Seven was visually stunning. Visually, yes. Visually, it was a great film, and you know, you said there was lots of little special effects, but. I'm not gonna ruin the movie because I want people to go watch this movie. The ending is Yeah. Out is crazy. Especially with the well, effects know, and that.
3: But it was a powerful movie. Yes, yeah, very powerful. It was powerful. a powerful movie yeah. and uh, I got the poster right over here. Yeah, yeah I got it all. Yeah. Can't I, see it.
0: I had a VHS poster, so
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right, Andre. Great. Thank thank you so much. Yeah. We can't we can't thank you enough. Appreciate it.
3: Uh, I appreciate it, guys. It's fun to talk about it, and we'll do it again. I appreciate it. Thank you you. so
2: much. Have a good night, Andre.
0: Uh, All
3: right. Take care. Bye. bye.
2: So now you know how to get your pyrotechnic license. You can annoy your friends and neighbors, blow the hell out of the Neighborhood Association. Have a good time with that. It's all due to Andre Ellingson. We hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm going to let these people talk now. Thank you, Andre.
1: Thank
2: you, Andre. And
0: uh,
1: Thanks again to Mick Strong for introducing us.
0: Yeah, again, with those... My you, make, voice. you make Fabio look like Ethel Mermel. <laughs> Who's mean, Merman? Merman, Merman.
1: Oh no, Ethel Mermel. Mermel,
2: Mermel, Mermel, Couldn't even get the jobs <laughs> Ethel Mermel could get. So
1: anyway, we're going to hopefully be making more connections like this as Bonehead goes on. So for our true fans who love how movies are made... Yeah. and, stay, the, and the tuned, truth, stay tuned not only we're just working the, on it yeah and not, we've got more to announce. not just the actors. We love being able to tell you how things get blown up and we're gonna have more writers, more directors more things like that. So stay tuned for some of our special guest stars that we're getting lined up. And once again thank you Andre. are we out? We're out. Thank you so much. See you next week. love you Mick Garris. cough drop sure you want some water you want some you want some hot
2: wax down your throat <laughs> dracula
1: loves what flavor rocks. is that joe i don't know wax
2: it's wax flavored i'll
1: tell you the thing i've learned from eating candles <laughs> they do not often taste like they smell same with soap and people <laughs> <Arr>! <laughs>